If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your co-host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. I am recording from the basement of my in-laws' house because we've been booted while they redo a bathroom in my house. I have no idea what this is going to sound like. Sorry if if I'm echoey or squeaky or whatever. Joining me on the line, he is a seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer in our Brooklyn Bureau. He is Gareth Hughes. Gareth, been a while, been a day since we've been on the horn, uh, since we've gotten on the horn to do this. How are you doing, my friend? Well, as I like to put it, like there's a couple. Someone asked recently on Twitter, like, "What are your favorite uh, nebulous units of measurement?" And mine is a minute. Like, oh, it's been a minute since we've done this. But my wife takes the cake with, "Oh yeah, that happened. It's been since the other day since we recorded. The other day for uh-huh. my wife could mean two days ago, two weeks ago, or two years ago. Honest to God, like there is no." limit short or long for how long the other day means <laughs> in my wife's world so yeah it's been since the other day since we got together and did this so. it's been a uh it's been a, a fortnight right yeah is there it, you go yeah that, is that one or am i just confusing Fortnite is two weeks Fortnite okay. is two weeks that one has an actual something attached to it it's been so. one score not four score, right? I don't know. Yes. I don't know what yes. score is. Is that, is yeah. that 12 too? I have no idea. I try, once recently, I tried to sound sophisticated with my dad, and I said, I was talking to my dad about how long he and my mom had been married, and I said something like, oh, wow, it's been four scores. He's like, Gareth, it's not 80 years. And I was like, I'm going to stop trying to sound sophisticated. <laughs> so, Well, look, our farewell tour continues. Our guest today, it's going to be a, I think, to describe this show would be right in our wheelhouse, Gareth, because we've got <laughs> Rob Harvilla from The Ringer. He is a staff writer at The Ringer who covers music, pop culture. I really like his new podcast, 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. Um, I find it super listenable. In each episode, he breaks down one song from the 90s, everything from Metallica to Biggie to Selena to Temple of the Dog to Missy, huh. to the breeders. And he goes into like the cultural impact, um, the nuances of the time, a little bit of history of the of the artists. But also, I think what I like about it is it doesn't just glorify the nostalgia for these these old acts. It's it's really talking about how they kind of ushered in what came to be. So it is it is not what I would call like uh, you know, uh, nostalgia porn, uh, but more of a nuanced take uh, to help us understand uh, what these songs from that era uh, meant and mean now. Well, and I would argue, and this is going to sound generational, and I'm going to sound... Washed. <laughs> yeah, but I actually do think that the 90s and then early 2000s pre-streaming was the last moment you got where uh, music could be as monocultural as it could get. Whereas now I think things are so splintered that it, it music just means something so different. Um, well, you know, I would like, argue the one I agree with you, but I would say like now 
like a Taylor Swift or a Beyonce album can be, you know, something everyone's talking about, but it's almost like they're talking about them through the prism of their celebrity. Yes. You can talk about the 90s and you can talk about the quote golden era of rap music and indie rock and alternative rock, etc. You know, now by the 2000s, you could still, still have a lot of musical dominance, but I would argue that the quality was really starting to suffer. <laughs> I do ask him, I mean, it's a fun conversation. I do ask him a little bit. We, you know, we talk about, you know, the show, we talk about the 90s, we talk about sports in the 90s. I, I kind of said, you know, mm-hmm. are you at that phase where people are pitching you like ridiculous songs? Like, oh, you got to do <laughs> Faded to You, bro. It was my prom theme. <laughs> Right. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm getting a lot of requests. But, Gareth, I really want to talk to Rob, too, because as we wind down this show and we explore things that are our own passion points, I love that Rob went to OU, Ohio University, uh, around the same time that we were growing up in Miami and and going off to school. And so I just had to kind of pin him down on on talking about Maction and growing up Mac. (laughs) And so after the interview, you and I are coming back. In honor of Rob, we're going to talk about our favorite Mac moments from back in the day, the things that kind of shaped us as sports fans. And honestly, more than I care to admit, like growing up Mac has really <laughs> has really molded my sports fandom in weird ways uh, that I started to think about as I was doing this. I look forward to hearing about that. <laughs> um, I Like growing up Mac, I'm in. All right, so let's get to my interview with Rob. Again, go... Go listen to his podcast, you know, support, you know, back in the day when we started this podcast, I felt like podcasting was a little bit more like a community than it was now where it's just like everybody's got one. So mm-hmm. I always say go support, uh, go download, go try a new show, uh, listen to it if you haven't, give it a try. And then afterwards, stick around. We are going back to the Mac. Yo, Shaq, yo, yo, I'm over here. Yo, Shaq, I do want to start with the podcast. I'm like what I would call a, besides being a podcaster the past six years, I'm like a podcast power user, um, especially when I'm like taking my kids to outside or whatever. And and yours is yeah. one of my favorite shows of the past year. Um, wanted to break oh, wow. it down a little bit because I've, I've just really been enjoying it. And I wanted to know kind of the origin story. Like where did you first circle around this specific angle in on uh, the music of that era? Uh, well, that's so kind. Thank you so much. I, well, let's see. Sean Fennessy, who, of course, sort of runs The Ringer, has a bunch of podcasts there. I, he originally sort of proposed something. I think what we were looking to triangulate or quadrangulate is the rewatchables, of course, The Ringer podcast about rewatching old movies. Song Exploder, you know, which, which obviously I, I think everybody loves Song Exploder at this point, but just drilling down into one song and taking it apart and talking to the artists about how they put it together. And then I don't, I am, I'm going to assume that you remember pop-up video, uh, oh, yeah. VH1 pop-up video. So that the sort of rough, you know, elevator pitch sort of idea was to, was to have a podcast that was a little shorter, you know, than your hour long Kind of thing, you know. I, one thing I do like about Song Exploder is how sort of bite-sized it is. You know, often in the context of what else I'm listening to, and just to take songs and to combine, you know, a critical analysis with a sort of personal, sort of nostalgic, sort of memoir aspect, and then like just the pop-up video, sort of goofier, sort of frivolity thing, and and just sort of talking about 
how that would be organized and what would be a good organizing principle. I, the 90s just sort of immediately emerged as like far enough away to be the past, <laughs> <laughs> right? But still, but still near and dear to enough of us to feel like present tense in a way, or like still influencing the present in some way. And so it, it just it somehow it just seemed very logical to drill down on the 90s specifically. What I like is that it's not this nostalgic overload where you're just kind of doing, you know, you know trading and myth-making. I, I like that you're probing yeah. not just the, the stories behind the songs you remember, but I think how they informed what came next. It, it is not a, a sort of uh, a, a show that is, that is at all cynical about what happened after the 90s, and, and, and I like that a lot. How do you, how do you yeah. balance that, like looking back to the songs you clearly had a personal connection to but avoiding that overly you know sort of treacly nostalgic play that i think too many of these types of projects fall uh, fall victim to yeah it's a tough thing because there's there's no denying that nostalgia is a, a a main driver of this podcast it's very important you know i have a ton of nostalgia for these songs i have a ton of memories you know teenage memories i went to high school in the 90s i went to college in the 90s you know there's no denying my very personal connection to all these songs but you know i've also been working as a rock critic now for 20 years which is terrifying to say but that's how long <laughs> it's been and i and just it's 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 a feel thing you know it's an intangible sort of quality to balance you know that personal nostalgia with you know theoretically a more professional sort of assessment of like how these songs work and and what their impact was and just how our perception of them has changed and i mean it's i I get daunted by the songs with a great deal of freight in that regard. Like the Dr. Dre, you know, I did an episode on Dr. Dre on nothing but a G thing. And just there's, there's so much to talk about there. You could talk about that song as like a song that everybody at my high school went nuts for. You know, I went to a, a, a Cleveland suburb, you know, middle class suburban high school, you know, where everyone was just nuts for the chronic, you know, for what seemed like three years. But you also have to talk about the LA riots. You have to talk about Dr. Dre, you know, and D Barnes, you know, you have to talk about how his career developed afterward. You know, these, these things do change with time. And so to some degree, they are sort of frozen in time the way I heard them when I was a 16 year old, you know, and I just radio head, you know, I, I, when I was <laughs> right. 19, I thought I loved more, I, I thought I loved Radiohead more than any other human being on the planet. I thought I was the world's biggest Radiohead fan. And now I know that that is not even close to true. <laughs> you know, I have, I have read, you know, hundreds of thousands of words about Radiohead. I have written, you know, tens of thousands of words about Radiohead. And it's, it's, it's a matter of taking in all that information and, and gleaning all these different perspectives and like evolving you know, my feelings about this, but still holding on to that teenage feeling about it, too, because that is important, too, even if it was misguided, even if it was naive, even if it's embarrassing now, like, that's still true. It's still true to me, and it's still important to me. You mentioned the term embarrassing. I was going to ask you, is there one specific <laughs> artist that you ride irrationally hard for from that era? And I say this as someone who has unapologetically, unapologetically defended Jane's Addiction on this very podcast, despite the fact that like Ritual is like the most self-indulgent, uh, the back half of an album probably ever. Who, who do you... Because who do I'm imagining... In, in, 
you know, even in like the process of like researching this, you're coming across all these acts. You're like, oh yeah, this and this and this. And, and I just wonder, is there anyone you, you still ride for when, and that people kind of, you know, roll their eyes to. Okay. So first of all, I don't think Jane's addiction is someone you have to be embarrassed about. Like that, <laughs> they seem pretty critically. Yeah. yeah. The back half of that record, the back half of ritual is a little rough. Like the back half of every record from the nineties is rough. You know, it was, Pretty good amount of front loading happening there uh, in the CD boom era. So, so, so don't take that too hard. Um, uh, the truth is, I am still, I am back, I'm going back and forth on it. And I think I'm more inclined to do it as of this moment. But my answer is cake. Oh, yeah. You know, the distance, I just, the distance was a song that I really loved at the time. You know, it's, I don't know if like, going through a big weird Al Yankovic phase, going through a big, they might be giants phase. The other answer to this question is they might be giants. I, of you know, course. that was, that was the band that I, you know, I, I think I've written about this. Like I remember hearing particle man by they might be giants for the first <laughs> time, like having my mind blown, you know, the way people in the seventies and sixties talk about having their mind blown by like Dylan or the who or, or the clash or whatever like that. My version of that was they might be giants, particle man, you know, and I try very hard not to be embarrassed by that. But I am I am threatening to, to argue that Cake are an, unob, are, an, are an objectively great band, that the distance is an objectively great song. Like they had one of the most singular sounds and personalities of any band in the 90s. I may, I'm probably going to do that. I'm a I'm a short skirt, long jacket stand, so no no argument here. See that is, that is a fan that is a fantastic song. It's aged fantastically. I think we can all relate to short skirt, long jacket. Absolutely, you get it. I'm I'm so thrilled to hear that you get it. <laughs> well, the the '90s was a a time of wide ranging styles. I think it's easy to look back and say, oh yeah, it was sure it was alt rock and it was pop and it was hip hop. Uh, what I like about your yeah. series is you're exploring everything from CNC Music Factory to sort of the ska roots of No Doubt. Um, uh-huh. What do you think people misremember the most when they try to, you know, define uh, music of that era? What do they misremember most? It's a good question. You know, I. It's funny, like in that in that No Doubt episode, like I. It, that's probably going to stand as the Sky episode, like as close as I'm going to get to Sky. I feel a little sad saying that, actually. But like, <laughs> I what I, I don't know. I don't know if I forgot to talk about it, but I just didn't get around to talking about it. it was like the swing revival. Oh yeah, Cherry Pop and Daddies. And <laughs> I I I saw both the Cherry Pop and Daddies and Big Bad Voodoo Daddy live <laughs> in their prime shows. Facts. I. What do people, I, I think that people have this perception that like one hit wonders were just weirder in the nineties, that there was some quality that they had that was fundamentally different from like a one hit wonder or just a fluke hit the way it happens today. And that's true in some senses, like in the nineties, when you were selling millions and millions of copies of a CD, if you had like one good song, like, I don't know, like. How many CDs did OMD sell based on how bizarre, <laughs> right. for example, you know, like where, whereas that would be just like a YouTube sort of TikTok or whatever sort of fluke hit now, you know, where it would dominate Spotify's charts for a little while. Like that actually had some sort of physical commercial pop 
impact, like for a little while. And so that's, that's a fundamental difference between the nineties and today in terms of like your, your more sort of novelty or fluky or hits. But I do think that like every era, including this era, like still has that, like just still has like this random burst of micro scenes and just like absolutely weird, unpredictable things happening. And I, it's, there's a quality that I think people ascribe to the nineties that it was just rawer and wilder back then. And I, I'm sort of always grappling, as you say, like just going back to the nineties, just remember that, remember that, like remember the standing outside a broken phone book with money in my hands. I think I got that right. Actually. That's amazing. Like is, could that song have happened today? You know, was that song specific to the nineties could have happened in the eighties Could have happened 10 years ago. Like I'm always grappling with what was singular about the 90s and unrepeatable about the 90s and what's just a continuation of what's still happening today. What's the most random song someone's pitched you to do in the show? <laughs> like, what, has anyone been like, hey, Fade Into You is my prom theme. You gotta, you gotta hit Mazzy Star on this. Okay, I, have, I think I'm right in saying that someone has asked me that exactly, more or less, I'm almost positive that somebody has DM'd me about Fade Into You specifically. <laughs> it was my I, homecoming theme did, or prom theme or whatever, so maybe it was my school. That, that is a fantastic prom theme. That would I would have been happy to embrace, uh, happy to attend that prom. Somebody DM'd me on Saturday asking about no Vaseline, ice cubes, no Vaseline. Oh. Like that's a pretty, that's a very specific request, actually. Um, so a dude. DM'd me, like, I think one day later to say that he saw Marcy Playground live <laughs> and they played, they played Sex and Candy and dr and they played it for like 20 minutes. They played a 20 minute version of Sex and Candy. I got to write that guy back and like ask like what the other 17 minutes consisted of, <laughs> like if there was a guitar solo or something. But no, that's one of the most gratifying parts of, of this is just people DMing me random songs. And like demanding that I do random songs because the vast majority of the time, like I really, really want to do them the minute they're brought up. You know, it's just it's it's just fascinating now how every song, no matter how goofy it was at the time, just strikes me now as like this rich text. 100%. I mean, and that's what makes the project so fun is I, I keep, uh, you know, wondering where you're going to go next, what what genre you're going to explore, and how things might weave together. Um, Temple of the Dog episode. You, you started yeah. talking about the dawn of the earnest rocker of that era who's also just like a sports fan. So as we kind of transition into right. sports a little bit. Now, look, uh, Huey Lewis came on this podcast last year. I'm not going to pretend like rock stars weren't into sports. I mean, he was partying with like the 80s 49ers a decade earlier. Ice Cube yeah. did a whole 30 for 30 on the, the role the Raiders played in his art. But I, I do think there was something to the idea that this was this generation that kind of tore down the wall between I'm a very serious artist and I also, you know, almost named my band Mookie Blaylock. Um, right. What do you remember about the connection that the, the artists of that era have or had to the sports world? Were they big NBA fans and like Mookie Blaylock fans or did Pearl Jam just think like that would be funny? Do you have any idea? I don't know. If I I, well, Eddie Vedder's uh, like sort of, a, I mean, I live in Chicago, so like he's all over our he's sports scene. Yeah. I mean, but I right. always remember them as being authentically into 
Like those guys always struck me as, yeah, they they probably think the Sonics are pretty cool. <laughs> like, and and who could sure, argue sure. they were cool back then? Right. Like the the Jordan documentary, obviously, you know, just across one of the best parts of the Jordan documentary for me was the music that came along with it, you know, and sort of the reminder that Michael Jordan, like as a human, was not into <laughs> right. rap music at all. You know, like Michael Jordan had such a massive influence on pop culture in the 90s and had also no knowledge of, you know, relevant 90s pop culture whatsoever. It's such a bizarre dichotomy. And so, yeah, that that documentary was a big moment for me in terms of the confluence of those two things. Like, I love Pavement, you know, and Stephen Maltmus, the front man, obviously has this huge solo career now. And it's People were so fascinated in the early stages of his career. He would do these interviews and he would talk about basketball. He would talk about fantasy basketball. And I think he's in, he was in Oregon. Like he would talk about the Portland trailblazers, you know, and, and like the jailblazers era and all of that. And people were just so fascinated by the idea that like this sort of deified, like slacker, you know, diffident, diffident indie rocker type could also be like watching NBA games. You know, people (laughs) that that really fascinated people at the time. But I think there always was sort of there was a lot of sports bleeding into pop culture and vice versa, you know, from the beginning. But, yeah, that Jordan documentary was really a trip in that sense, especially. Yeah. Unforgivable. They ended that with like a like a Pearl Jam song instead of like one of the the R&B artists that Michael Jordan was listening to on the bus or whatever. (laughs) I was trying to remember the name of that song, and I'm not going to be able to do it off the top of my head. But yeah, that's a good Pearl Jam. It's it's uh, what was it called? Present tense, I think, right? Present tense. Thank you. I was about to sing it, which would have been rough for everybody. <laughs> but yeah, so that was a very bizarre choice as an ending song. But I guess fitting in terms of how bizarre Jordan's own like cultural interests turned out to be. It's one of those where the director thinks it up and is like, this is going to be genius and just completely abandons his subject <laughs> and says, this is my this is my ending. I want to talk about Ohio. Yeah. You mentioned growing up near Cleveland. Please. What was it like as a 90s sports fan uh, in the Cleveland area? And I say this as a Southwestern Ohio uh, sports yeah. fan of the of roughly the same age. Well, you know, the, those 90s Indians teams were incredible in retrospect. You know, I, I just say just it is such a travesty that they never won a World Series with that team, you know, and they had Manny Ramirez, you know, Kenny Lawson, Carlos Baerga. Like there's it was a time not long ago when I could have done the whole starting lineup. Jim Tomey, you know, there's some overlap in eras there. But just those years of dominance when they were in the playoffs every year and they were in the World Series and just I just remember being so devastated you know, when they couldn't quite get all the way, you know, Jose Mesa, et cetera, you know, and the Cavs, you know, the pre, the entire pre LeBron Cavs era, like I was rooting hard for the Cavs, like around the shot, you know, Chrissy, mm-hmm. Craig, Craig Elo, forgive me, Mark Price, Brad Doherty, Nance, Hot Rod Williams. Like I, I remember, I remember when Danny Ferry as a player was going to be the savior of Cleveland. You know, he was going to be the LeBron James of Cleveland, you know, 10, 15 years early. And everyone wanted his hoops card, you know, where he had the sweater and just, and then he sucked. You know, it's just, it's Cleveland sports of that era. You know, we, we were, 
in the midst of that complex we had about never winning anything, you know, like the highlight reel of all the ways that the Browns screwed it up. And then we lost the Browns and then the Browns came back and it's like, we should have not gotten the Browns back because it's terrible now. Like it's just all those years of futility and all those years, you know, of, of Cleveland getting this, this complex of like just this God forsaken place that will never win a championship. Like it was a really weird cultural moment to grow up there in the mid nineties, but to also root for these incredible teams, you know, that went deep into the playoffs that went to the world series that were on the cusp of winning the world series. Like the really bizarre mixture of like winning a lot, but always ultimately losing, you know? And I just, <laughs> I am just so genuinely grateful to LeBron, like for the block, you know, just for that one Cavs win, you know, which like very well may stand as the only major Cleveland trophy of my lifetime. And like, if that's the case, like I can live with that, you know, and it's, you know, somebody wrote, you know, I can, I can die in peace now, (laughs) hopefully not soon, but yeah, was well, it look as somebody who's staring at an Icky Woods Bengals jersey over my desk? <laughs> I had to ask, who's the who's your like who's your version of that? Like you're a Leroy oh. Horde type that you just uh, loved as a as a kid who was more of a cult figure in Cleveland uh, at that time. Oh uh, man, I'm not gonna come up with anyone half as good as Icky Woods. The Icky Shuffle <laughs> that was so fantastic. Oh my gosh, let me think about this. You know, it's, he wasn't a cult figure, but like I went for several years to Ron Harper's basketball camp. Oh yeah, uh, which was which was held at various uh, locations in Northeast Ohio. I was I was like, I am tall but oafish. I you know I had no no real natural ability whatsoever, and I was very ashamed about it. But I I tried for several years. Like, I remember, like, being driven to Ron Harper's basketball camp and, like, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince's Summertime is on the radio. And, like, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And, like, Ron grudgingly, you know, signs a mini basketball for, like, 2,000, you know, kids in the Cleveland area. And so, I see, that's the thing. There is just nobody, you know, like Manny Ramirez, Albert Bell, you know, like Albert Bell for good or ill, mostly ill, you know, is this like sort of such a bizarre, dominant, like terrifying figure, you know, and just just his constant battles with the media and just the mercurial effect that he would have, you know, on a baseball game, just this cloud hanging over everything. And then he would hit one, you know, just, just into the stratosphere and then everyone would love him again. Like it was it was just such a bizarre relationship that Albert Bell had with the city you know and those are, those are all a little too big to be cult figures but those are the ones that stick out to me now well look we're, we're big ron harper fans on this show having grown up at miami university where he uh where he went to school let me is that right i had no idea i'm I, I confess that I had no idea where he, that he did that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, and look to close. I was going to ask you about that. You went to Ohio uh, University for for college. You know, we grew up in at, at Miami, so uh, you know, natural yeah. rivals, I guess, kind of. Um, <laughs> they, but I, I do think it's interesting. I want to ask you just how do you compartmentalize like being a or or any sort of like Mac or Maction fandom that you might have. I get asked this question a lot. I went to Bradley University, which is another mid-major. So people are always like, do you, 
Do you miss not not having like a Michigan or an Indiana to root for? And I'm like, I don't know. It just means my my overall temperature about college sports goes went way down. How was it for you in terms of your relationship to the to the you know your school and and really just the culture around mid major sports? Well, you pointed this out to me. I just missed Gary Trent, <laughs> yeah. who I I think far Shack and away the is the most famous. Exactly. The most famous athlete to emerge from OU. I, cause I, I was at OU from 96 to 2000. And like, for, I apologize to these teams, but my memory is that we sucked at pretty much everything. I have this vague memory my first year. So this would be, I guess the spring of 1997. Like I remember going to OU games, like we were trying to play ourselves into the, into the March madness. And I don't know if we did, like I, there was like a brief blip where it's like, maybe we could actually be something, but like the football team, as I recall, was God awful. You know, I, I don't think many people were paying attention to it. So like, I was going to ask you like, when did Maction become like a phenomenon? <laughs> like this, this thing where they started, you know, the ringer has written about this, like where they started playing Mac games on weekdays. That's it. You know, and and then like you know, and so people are sitting out in like the ungodly freezing cold. Like, when did that start? Because I was definitely not around for any. Yeah, because I I graduated in '01, and so I was in Oxford. Yeah. You know, back and forth. You know, uh, you know, up until that point, I would say yeah, it was like the early 2000s when they start playing during the week football, and then you had Big yeah. Ben. You know, mm-hmm. became mm-hmm. sort of a phenomenon, and and after that, it was just right. sort of like a gag. Um, but yeah, I, the whole league, it's, 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 it's a colorful league. I mean, you got like Bowling Green and teams named the Zips. I don't know. It's just a bizarre <laughs> sports culture. God bless Akron. But no, I, I remember that like we had a sense that we were supposed to think of Miami of Ohio as our rivals. Right. But like, it's always been my feeling that like, you have to be good at a sport to have a rival, like the way that the Browns and the Steelers. The Browns and the Steelers have not been rivals in the traditional sense yeah. for like, let's say the last 10, 15 years or so. Like maybe now, maybe like right now for the first time, it's the same with OSU and Michigan. Like I live here in Columbus. The vast majority of my family, my extended family are diehard Buckeyes fans and I don't dislike them, but I don't feel any spiritual connection to the Buckeyes. And I don't have this bloodlust to watch them murder Michigan for like the 50th time in a row. You know what I'm saying? Like that just, that does not strike me as a rivalry anymore. Like it's, and it's, there was the same way with OU and Miami of Ohio with OU and anybody back then. It's like, we're just, we're not even on the level yet where we can like even irritate somebody. <laughs> well, Hey, you've been so generous with your time. I really appreciate it. And I, I, you know, we'll, again, we'll drive everyone to go uh, follow your work at the ringer, go listen to the podcast, which is phenomenal. And, and look, I think there's room for like a squirrel nut zippers, uh, ska, <laughs> ska, mighty mighty yes. boss tones, something, man. Do the Ooh. song they played in Clueless. You know that? How, what's more '90s than that? <laughs> right, right. Is that? Uh, I'm not going to think of the name of it, but you're absolutely right that I should absolutely do that. I'm just, all the uh, all my episodes are going to be about ska from now on. But thank you so much, dude. I really appreciate it. 
ground. Life's just one big jump shot. One big you jump shot. You're on or you might be off. Cash money. So try to maintain and refrain from the strain. And don't get lost in the salt. Don't get caught up in it. Life's just one big jump shot. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things that showcase their passions and personality. And then we, the fans, tell them you're being a distraction. Quit it. Get back to watching game film. That is ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate locker room distractions by telling you what's been distracting us. Gareth, we're doing an all-Mac, as I mentioned off top, an all-Mac celebration with with Rob Harvilla coming on the podcast. He's a Mac alum. We grew up in Oxford, Ohio, where Miami of Ohio is. All sorts of Mac memories just flooding my mind as we speak. Uh, so we're going to just break down some of our faves. I've got a little list of, of I think, five here. You've got a, a, a list as well. Um, do you, by the way, do you still rock any, like, Miami gear anywhere? Ever? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't, <laughs> I don't wear gear in general. You know, like, uh, no sports gear in my life. So I still uh, – yeah, I still wear, like – Shirts, but I guess I get it. They're more like based on the Miami Tribe um, and the Miami. Well, your mom, mom, yeah, your your mom's relationship with the Miami Tribe is pretty special and deep. So. I'm not wearing like Ron Harper throwbacks, if that's what. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. All right, so you know we were there in like the 80s and 90s. So when I started to think about Mac moments and Mac memories, that's immediately where I go. Mm-hmm. So I, let me throw some stuff at you. Okay. First things first. Uh, well, first things, really first things first. I need to apologize to women's sports. Like, my memories of women's sports are almost exclusively tied to my college and post-college life. Like, I went to a Missouri Valley school, so I can tell you all about, you know, Jackie Styles making a run with Missouri State or Southwest Missouri State, whatever they were called back then, into the Final mm. Four. I just don't have that same... Uh, you know, intimate memories of the women's sports of the Mac at that time. So I don't want that to seem like I'm, it's like a, it's more of a personal blind spot than it is like, Hey, I made a list and all my memories are men's sports. I, I, you know what? I might actually step in and defend you a little bit. Like most of my memories from that era of my life around women's sports were high school. Like, cause we would go support our friends. You know what right. I mean? Like we watched a lot of women's basketball I don't know that it was out of our lives, but it was just, I don't know. It was more geared towards our friends. So that's what, that's the one thing I will throw out there as a caveat. So with that said, the other thing that I find weird is the Mac, much like now the Missouri Valley, like has these teams that you don't quite ever associate with the Mac, (laughs) like, in your mind. I have no idea who's in the Mac now. Well, because the first thing I was going to throw out there is, turn-of-the-century Marshall football, to me, really stands out. Like, Randy Moss in 97, the the, yep. the the thundering herd came into the MAC, and then, like, the Byron Leftwich pick-me-up-and-carry-me game carry in the me MAC down championship the field. Yeah, game. Yeah. Those, those were, like, defining moments that I think about MAC sports culture from that time, and yet, mm-hmm. if you were to pin me down and say, hey, do you really think that, like, Marshall was a real MAC school? I'd be like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Well, where are they now even? Yeah. I have no idea. They could be in the 
Pac-12 for all I know. Like I, <laughs> I've completely lost track of Marshall football. I got a bit probably right, like the right. American Athletic, if that's still a thing, or Conference USA, or something along those lines. Well, and also Miami football got terrible. Yeah, I mean, I did not include on my list Big Ben at Miami because it was I was gone by then, and I just didn't. And I really don't care about Ben Roethlisberger. I never. I thought it was yeah. interesting that like they were undefeated and Miami was making national headlines. But it like I never had a connection to him. But mm-hmm. you're right. Like Miami football has never been, um, you know, anything to reckon with long enough to build any sort of rivalry with them or anything like that. Right. Marshall is now in Conference USA, by the way. Okay. Well, there you go. And let me yeah. let me keep moving. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw another one at you, and then we'll we'll hear one from you. How about this nickname, Shack of the Mac? Can you name oh, Gary who Trent? Sha- yeah, Gary, Gary Trent, Trent Senior, Senior, baby. Senior. <laughs> Gary who Trent Senior you was and a Mac I then icon. Went and saw at the Hoosier Dome when it was actually the Hoosier Dome in the opening rounds of the NCAA tournament back in the mid '90s. I think it was probably like 93, 94, they got that draw when we went to go see like the round of 64 and then 32. Gary Trent, all I remember was I think it was the 94, 95 team that won the preseason NIT. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, Gary Trent's going to lead Ohio U to to legitimately like the final four. He he was – he seemed destined to have the type of season that like Obi Toppin had at Dayton or like I mentioned well, well, Jackie well, Styles at Southwest Missouri State. Wasn't there one problem with him though in that he was like six six? Yeah, it like, just he it actually was, was the shack of the Mac. It legitimately was like a baby Jordan Harold Minor situation where yep, there yep. were certain resemblances, but the the nickname was more enticing than the talent. <laughs> Yeah, well, very well put. Very well put. They didn't even make the tournament that year. Miami made the tournament that year. and um, With Devin Davis? Yeah, must have been. Because I remember Miami making the tournament in, I want to say it was like 93? So Miami had two runs. They had the Devin Davis run where I think they won one game maybe. I don't think they made the Sweet 16. And then they had the second run with Wally where they did make the sweet 16 and the one that that was like, cause to me, my Mac memory is you and me and maybe two other guys going to the season opener. And they introduced this new player from long Island, New York, Wally Zerbiak. And I turned to you guys and I just said, Wally Zerbiak, do you think he's white? And it was like, I was probably like 13 or 14. And I think it was like the first like funny one-liner of my life. You know what I mean? Like it was like the first like joke joke I had ever made. And I like, like along those lines. And I was like, yeah, all right. That was cool. I mean, he was on my list too. That He led Miami to the sweet 16. Listen to this stat line in 1999. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. We scored, I say we, God, how, I was at a different school at this time, but it's amazing how your youth sometimes just jumps out and like reminds you of how you used to think. Because me saying we about Miami University sports is insane. 
Miami scored 59 points in the first wait, wait, round. Hold on. We need to clarify for everyone, too. Neither one of us went to Miami. No. We're both townies. We wanted to get so far out of that town. I mean, our parents worked <laughs> at the university. We weren't um, you know, we, we, it wasn't like we didn't have connections. Like we would go to things. We were part of the community culture because, you know, our parents were, were part of that university, um, you know, uh, ecosystem, but we, you know, it, it, yeah, we were just like townies running around, like going and rooting for your local team. Okay. First round Miami scores 59 points. Wally Zerbiak had 43 of them. <laughs> oh my God. And that's, oh my the, God. that's the game that like, put them on the map and then they beat Utah the very next game uh the year after Utah after had Utah been Utah was in the championship Yeah, game. had been in the championship game and had that amazing run and then they lost to Kentucky ultimately but th- that I mean look while he got on the cover of Sports Illustrated back when yep. that was like a huge deal Yep Ah uh, all right well yeah that was the third one on my list what else is on your Mac memories uh chart here Gareth my final Mac memory was selling Cokes at or Pepsi or whatever it was at football games, and Bill Doran <laughs> was there. Oh, Bill Doran with the Cincinnati Reds at the time, and uh, I went up and asked him for an autograph on a one dollar bill. So I have a personal my... connection to Bill Doran. Hit me. Okay, I believe this is true. I might be way wrong. My uncle Scott played baseball at Miami University. Okay. And from what I understand, he got hurt and lost his job to Bill Doran, <laughs> who never relinquished it and went on to the major leagues. <laughs> that's Your uncle the... got Wally pipped by Bill Doran. Yeah, like I that's like the the that's the story that I um at least that's the way that I heard it or remember it or like wrote that story in my head. So Uncle Scott, if you're hearing this, uh, correct the record. Uh, t- you know, two, Look, we don't have to belabor this. Two more I'm going to throw at you, Gareth. In terms of, again, these are just like things that pop into my head about Mac. Mm-hmm. There's a school named Bowling Green whose colors are brown and orange. Why, <laughs> why is Bowling <laughs> Green not green? Have you ever been there too? Bro, I did Boys State at Bowling Green. <laughs> that is the single flattest place on earth. Yeah. I, also, Boy State. I could do a whole podcast about going to Boy State. I need to watch that documentary. Yeah, I was gonna say the the doc. People love it. Boy State opened my eyes to a world that existed, like entirely outside of my own teenage cynicism and interest in pop culture. Like I met kids who were like. I'm against the, the lottery. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, we're 17, bro. What do you? Why do you have these opinions? And you have an opinion on the lottery. <laughs> a world, a, a world of of pure earnestness. All right, the last one on my list, Gareth. You got a guess? Mm, all right, so it's not football. Ron Harper. Now, Ron Harper was okay. before my time. Okay, I got nothing. It's the it's what I consider to be the most inexplicable sports thing, like of that era, which is okay. the only team that got anywhere near beating UNLV 
1990, the year they beat Duke by 30 in the uh, in the championship game, was Ball State. <laughs> oh, that's right. In the, like, in the second round of the tournament, right? In the Sweet 16, Ball State lost to UNLV 69-67. It is the craziest thing to look at. The, like, the full game is not on... Uh, online, as far as I can see, but I did see there's like this insane yeah. dunk by a guy named Chandler Thompson, and you look at it and you're like, he looks like he could be playing for UNLV, and that team has like right. a starting five of future NBA like players. That team had a starting five of like the top five draft picks, like Larry Johnson, Stacy Augman, Anderson Hunt, who I don't think ever panned out in the pros, but was like a dominant. He was just the sharpshooter. Honestly, he'd have more of a career he'd now. Be, I yeah, I re- I mean he wasn't long, but like he could he could be a rotational dude for sure yep yep um greg anthony right yeah here's the deal i did some research on this i think the reason this whole run happened is because the coach the year before for ball state was rick majeris he had recruited and built them into a very competitive program and then went to utah and so the new coach came in with whatever majeris had built and yeah it's insane. They they almost they lost almost, to Ball State. Yeah. Oh my god. And think of how what that would have done to all of NCA history. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's all I got for the Mac. Growing up Maction, you know, Tuesday night football. <laughs> well, we we Bro, were of the era with it. That didn't exist yet. We were there Saturday yeah, afternoon say, noon football. But also, this is a pretty good off the cuff for a Saturday morning action memories here, you know, the, the, I, like the other better one, than just this is all we've got. The other one that I'll throw out there is it's not really action, but the the mythical Miami Valley tournament, which was back in the day when Dayton, UC, uh, Xavier, and Miami would all play each other. Yep, and then eventually, I remember. That UC team, the year after the Final Four run, that went to the Elite Eight, lost to North Carolina, had like Van Exel, Corey Blunt. Yep, they yep. came to Miami, and Miami lost, I believe, in overtime. And then that was I a think thrilling game. Bob Huggins after that game was like, "I'm never coming back here. Like I have no more incentive to come here and almost lose." And that like mm-hmm. totally changed the the calculus. Those teams stopped playing each other. I mean, UC and Xavier still play. Uh, yep. Shout out Mark Titus, <laughs> who who <laughs> has a lot of thoughts on that rivalry. But really, what did he say about it? Just that it's like no one would take it seriously nationally, but when you go into the building and you talk to people, they're like, "Yeah, this is like the night of my year." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, speaking of that, I remember going to the bathroom at Old Riverfront Stadium at a Bengals game when the Bengals are at the like the the nadir of their '90s uh, futility, mm-hmm. and UC was going to be really great that year with Danny Fortson. <laughs> and somebody yells, it was a crowded bathroom, and someone goes, Danny Fortson for president. And people started chuckling. And then someone else goes, Danny Fortson for fucking quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> and I was that's like, a good line. I was like, I got to get out of here. I, got, I have to move. And I did. And that's it. So, all right. Well, yeah. this was fun. Good stroll down memory lane and a great conversation. Shout out to. Rob Harvilla. Again, go check out his work on The Ringer. Go check out his uh, his podcast, 60 Songs. 
that explain the 90s. You know, just wonderfully written, thoughtful essays about each song off the top and then and then interviews with uh, different musical uh, experts uh, to close out each show. Uh, I think he's just approaching about halfway through the uh, the arc of the series, so a uh, good time to catch up and binge if you haven't uh, been there already. And look, like I said, podcasting, we got into this because we wanted to be part of this community. Uh, you know, this is our final interview with a a fellow podcaster, and I would say, uh, you know, it's been a joy for everyone who's who we've who we've had on the show over the years who has their own show. Uh, we've always tried to support them, some big, uh, some like kind of independent creators. Shout out to podcasters everywhere uh, as we leave your ranks. Uh, good luck, Godspeed, and uh, and uh, check your check your RSS feed, bro. Also, last thing, way to come up with a smart podcast idea there, Rob, that has like a limited run, you know, where you just, you're going to do 60 songs and that's it. As opposed to now... When we're like, if we want to wrap this up, it's been 138 episodes. That sounds about right. You know, like, or just, uh, are we going to keep going with this forever? Or what's the deal? Like, way to come up with a concept where you're just, you've got a built-in end date, buddy. Very smart programming. You can tell, you could tell who does the editing on this show since you're like 42 episodes off. Of oh, absolutely. <laughs> I actually think I said 138 because that was the Simpsons number. Oh, where yeah, they did their right, 138th, 138th episode. Jeez, but still, now what are they at? Like yeah. 500? They just did their 700th episode, whoa, dude. Whoa, anyway, Yeah. Disney Plus, yeah. I got to catch up on that, too. Um, <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, you're right the, on that. It, it, Rob, uh, we're waiting for you to do the Shaquille O'Neal episode. So to inspire you, uh, in the immortal words of rapper extraordinaire, Shaquille O'Neal in the, in the 90s anthem, I Know I Got Skills, Booty Rappers. Stay booty.